Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. I'm speaking with Ram Das in this episode. He is a producer, a multi-instrumentalist, a songwriter. You've probably heard him play some instrument on some New Age or Mantra album because he's just very prolific. And one of the most exciting things in my eyes that he's done recently is appear on TV for the 2019 Grammy Awards. He's also played at Carnegie Hall. He has produced music for some beautiful musicians, including Narinjan Kaur and Jai Jagdish, Sonatum. He's recorded one of my albums. I am so touched that he decided to do this again. He's a very busy person and he took some time out of his schedule of collaboration, which he has been doing more and more of lately, we talk about that, to chat with me about his life and his musical projects, which are becoming more and more focused towards his own music, which is very exciting. And before we get into the podcast, I want to remind you that I am now an ambassador for this product that I love called Earth Breeze. It's a dehydrated laundry detergent, saves so much plastic. It's just wonderful. It works really well to clean your clothes. And if you click the link in the description box, whatever I get from your purchase goes to creating this podcast. So it's win, 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 win for you, win for me, win for the planet. All right. Here we go. Let's get into the podcast. All right. Well, welcome back, Ramdas. I think you're one of my only repeat guests so far. So honored to be that. Yeah. I'm so glad you decided to to come back at the time that we did it last time. You hadn't released your own music you had of course released many other people's music that you had been part of um but you are now creating some really beautiful music that features your name (laughs) first which is pretty exciting um let's talk about that and how that came to be sure so yeah thanks for having me back um (laughs) always love talking to you and uh yeah i guess the last time we talked I guess it was over a year ago or something. It was, it was a while ago. Um, and essentially, you know, I've produced for so many people and I like being in the studio is, is where I love to be. Um, I really, really love the, the recording process and the editing and mixing and and everything that goes into audio production, music production. So, um, I, but I didn't, I didn't have something to say. It was like, I, I, I wanted to put out something that felt, um, valuable to me. Uh, and I'm not a prolific songwriter. I don't sit down and put down lyrics. Like I just, I I have so many friends and colleagues who do where that's like, that's their bread and butter. They, they love sitting and writing and I'm really not that way. I don't, really like using words that much. Um, I find that words, uh, and, and of course this podcast is going to be like an antithesis to that, but, uh, words, (laughs) words last forever. And like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about the statement that I'm making in a song. Um, 
and frankly, I don't value my own words uh, in a way that feels like um, I just didn't feel like writing songs. Essentially, <laughs> long story <laughs> short, um, it's just this sounds like my this sounds like my disclaimer about why I don't play. I don't like playing live. <laughs> oh, well, we can get like, into like don't that do too. this or you know. But like, basically, I mean, you do what you're good at, right? And you're really good at recording. Thanks. Yeah. I love yeah. recording. I love, um, I don't know. I love powerful feelings. I love how music makes me feel. And I like finding that feeling in the recording process. Um, and honestly, Mati and, and Bogdan from Aware, they're kind of the first people that I've found where I really actually enjoy playing music this sounds really um bad considering that music is my entire profession but i maybe like you like i don't like live performance that mm -hmm. much well at least when it's my own stuff um i, I don't want to be a pop star in mm -hmm. in the the traditional sense um I like the music. I think the music is inspiring. And, and we basically sat down and came up with uh, structure for a number of pieces, much like you would do with a jazz tune, where it's like, okay, we, we mapped out where the changes are, basically where the chord changes are, and, and in some cases, what the melody is. Um, but then we gave ourselves a ton of room to improvise and everything that we put on the EP is live takes. So what we would do is we'd okay. lay down uh, a programmed drum beat that was all actually analog. It was not like done with a computer. We actually sat there with the drum machine and programmed a beat that became our click track. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Bogdan, Bogdan and I would be in one room and Mati would be in another and we recorded live. So what you're hearing is that magic of a live recording that it's like why people go to concerts because it's music is this uh, communication. It's a dialogue and a conversation that happens, in my opinion, best when it's done in the moment. Mm -hmm. So we captured that, but we still got it uh, in a studio environment. So it's sort of old school and new school all at the same time. Yeah, that's really cool. So when you say yeah. different rooms, like you're listening to each other, you're it's separated by glass or something, you can see each other. Well, it's a little more gorilla than that because we okay. were basically in a concrete apartment in Tulum. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so Bogdan and I were literally sitting in the kitchen slash dining room of this apartment. And uh -huh. then Mati was in the bedroom. So we had a cement wall and a door between us. Wow. So there's there's full sound separation, but we were listening on headphones. Were you in the middle of the jungle? Because like there is so few place. I'm going to say, I don't think I found a place here that would be silent enough to record. How did we, you do we, that? There's a place in La Veleta um, on the south side of town that we found That's is really quiet. And yeah, it's... Love it over there. Yeah, so me too. we're uh, it's a it's a place called Niwa. Okay. Um, and uh, I've done three or four different sets of recordings there now, in different apartments, but hmm. all in the same little complex. Um, 
so yeah it's it's super nice there's a, a pool so the kids can come and uh you know hang out and play some of the evenings and we get family dinners together but then oh. we get to to record here they have kids bogdan has two small children and a an older daughter uh, monty does not have any kids okay. but yeah uh, bogdan and his wife and kids will come over and we'll all party in the pool oh nice yeah where um not where how did you meet well i guess where too like how did you meet uh bogdan and mati i met bogdan at the second satnam fest mexico in teposlan oh okay so this was like was actually long yeah it was a long time ago i think it was right before no it was right after he and his wife now wife started dating so uh, they were just getting to know each other then or had just gotten together. Um, and then Mati, I didn't actually meet him until like days before we started recording this EP together. Um, okay. But I had heard him sing on a number of tracks by Mar de Leva, which is uh, Eduardo Castillo's group that was with Mati and Bogdan. So there's a track called Love Song that was also part of a live set and uh i played it on repeat it's so beautiful and that i really fell in love with with what mati does because he's singing without real words mm. so it takes care of of my uh thing where it's like i don't want this to be about the words but you're still feeling like he's saying something and you can you can hear that he's telling a story it's just not in a language that uh, we all know. Okay, so Mati is the singer. Yeah. Bogdan, Bogdan plays violin. He does drum programming. He does percussion. He okay. played electric guitar on Heart Takes Flight. Uh, he's he's a, a multi-instrumentalist like me. Wow. So that's super trusting because, I mean, I always feel like tracks tend to be voice forward. Right. You know, and so you just met this, but you'd heard him before. I'd heard him before. And uh, Bogdan and Mati play in these workshops where they combine uh, breath work with, uh, mm. with music. And we met in a cave in the middle of the jungle in a cenote. And we played for one of these workshops. And oh. it was just like, so it was so easy and so obvious. Uh, how good it was going to be so yeah but it's like my whole thesis is that collaboration works better than being a solo person um which again i'm i'm a hypocrite for saying in a way because there's one track on the ep that is just me <laughs> but you know it's like i do have more fun and I think the music is better and music is better when it's a conversation, when it's a collaboration. And when honestly, everyone gets to be themselves artistically. So I really didn't put a whole lot of boundary on what I wanted from either of them. It was about finding a feeling for each of us that felt good and going forward with that. Yeah, that's a, an, a really cool process the how you described it like basically just sort of a loose structure 
no vocal framework. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, that's that's super that's super cool. But but also I would imagine presents its own challenges because you're also having to remember what that structure is and like create dynamics around that without really knowing where the right where the song is going. Right. Like right exactly. Which basically, as a musician, as a backing musician this is what I've been training for my entire career, essentially. It's just about listening and then following some sort of impulse that, mm. that you are communicating to each other. We're all going, we're going there now, aren't we? Yeah, okay, let's go there. Or you find that one person starts going, but there's a pullback, there's a tension. Mm -hmm. And that brings its own uh, quality to the music too. Yeah. So it's just about listening to each other and and yeah, trusting each other that we all know what we're doing. We all believe and know that the other musicians are amazing. So we can sit back and enjoy it essentially. Yeah. So this was the least stressful recording project I've ever been in. It was the most fun I've ever had. And you know, I'm, I'm chuffed that it's my own music, um, <laughs> but it's something that, that, that just came from a good feeling essentially. Yeah. And were, th were this, did you say it was one take as well? Or, or did you guys give yourselves a few times to go through it? We did multiple takes. We did multiple takes for each piece uh, and each one's different, but I did not ultimately cut between different takes okay. in picking what I wanted to go on the EP. I gotcha. picked a take and worst case, we would chop out some sections that you know, just went on too long or had some flub in it that, that okay. didn't fit. So yeah, it's, it's live slightly, uh, truncated generally. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. I don't think I've ever heard somebody describe their recording process that way. Did you, was this sort of like a revelation? Like, Hey, let's try this or, or how did that idea come about? I, don't know how much we thought about it. I think it's just that we've, I mean, Bogdan and I have worked together on a number of projects before. I, I try to get him to play on just about anything that I work on. Mm -hmm. um, there's a way that he plays that's just so emotional and so uh, captivating and brings textures to the, the forefront that I haven't found anywhere else and frankly don't want to because <laughs> it's so much fun working with him. Um, but, you know, it's like we've tracked on so many projects and we realized pretty quickly that the first couple takes that we do, if we run through a piece, we've got it. Generally, you, you get the best results in the first one or two takes because you're not thinking. Mm -hmm. As soon as you start thinking about what you're playing, that's when the feeling leaves and the music becomes less interesting. Mm. So I think just based on those experiences, we just said, well, this is basically how the piece goes. Let's play through and see how it feels. And because Mati and Bogdan also do so much improvisation in the breath workshops, they already are in that frame of reference. Me coming from playing mantra music with Sonatum and you and Naringin and Jai Jagdish, 
we're essentially doing a similar thing because we have the mantra on repeat. So we're trying to find ways to keep it interesting, keep it musical. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we just arrived at the same thing just from different avenues. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I wouldn't have actually guessed that that was your recording technique, like having listened to it. So I find that really intriguing too, because cool. it doesn't, it doesn't have that kind of like, um, I guess when you listen to an improvised jazz piece, the recording kind of sets you up to feel like you're in an auditorium or like in a cafe or something like that. And for this, it's much more intimate. Right. You feel, yeah. Right. Uh, there are a number of records that used a similar process. I mean, it's like, this is, this is more traditional, uh, like recording to tape style. Mm. Um, before we got Pro Tools, before we got digital recording, uh, you know, tape is precious, studio time is precious. So getting the band in a studio together with hopefully some sound separation between the rooms um, or between the players, you would knock out some takes. And so like, I think about um, like Louie Louie, classic uh, pop um, song of the era. Like that was all done live. And I think there were some things where the singer messed up or whatever, but it's just like, you can't cut it together with a different take. The producer just said, nope, that's the one and you do it. Mm -hmm. So it's a similar mentality in the sense that we, we just wanted the raw expression that happened in the moment. And then, of course, we had the opportunity to overdub some elements on it. So we were able to put harmony vocals on. Mm -hmm. I got Jared May to play bass on a couple of the tracks after the fact. Um, I added electric guitar to a couple of the tracks um, once we played. So it's like taking the best of the live studio uh, technique, but then getting to use modern recording techniques too. Yeah. Did, so you did all the live stuff in Tulum and then you traveled with it and were yeah. able to gather people. Yeah. Well, barely traveled just because it was COVID. I mean, oh, yeah, well, it's that, like, yeah. hey, Jared, can you record on this? Hey, man, <laughs> sure. This is great. <laughs> Two nights later, here you go. So, yeah, I mean, the internet is wonderful for music. Yes, the internet has um, replaced traveling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but sure. I will say it's like, it works when the people that you're working with understand what you're doing and right. are treating it with the same sort of, uh, I don't want to say preciousness, but uh, value, the same sort of sacredness that yeah. we come to it with. Um, so that it doesn't, I, I, like, I really didn't want it to feel like a job for anyone. I wanted everyone to, to bring their artistry to it. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's lovely. I haven't heard the whole thing yet because it's not out, right? Not the whole thing. Yeah, there's That's coming two out more December tracks 3rd. that'll be out soon. Yeah. 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 Well, so look forward to that. That'll be that'll be really cool. And yeah. it's been how many years since The Alchemist's Prayer? Uh, that was 2011. So it's been 10 years. 10 years. Wow. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that was 
me then in a way. Um, it was the community that I was playing in, the, the mantra world. Um, and I got to kind of orchestrate it in a way that was mine. But this music feels very authentic to me in a way that I, I feel mostly disconnected from that record. Yeah. Do you think that that's just also because I, I know a lot of things have happened yeah. with around the mantra stuff. So I definitely sure. feel that about music I've recorded too, but I also wonder, I mean, it has been 10 years. So I wonder if people who have recorded something 10 years ago generally feel a little bit disconnected from the person that they were 10 years I prior. I can't imagine that that's the case. I mean, James Taylor has been singing fire and rain for <laughs> what, how many years now? 40, 50? Like, yeah. um, I think you, if you're lucky, you get to find new meaning in the music. For me, I feel like I'm just starting in a way. Mm. Like that that album feels like a different person made it entirely. Um, yeah. And I feel like I have a new career now, knowing what I know now, being who I am now, uh, and I can make music that feels like something of mine whereas that was very much uh you know it was made in the mindset that i was in then which is super different from mm -hmm. how it is now yeah we were talking um last time so i'm remembering it was actually before the pandemic so it was a little over a year wow it's been a while yeah um we were talking about your uh the ceremonies that you were going to um, the Native American ceremonies in the, is it the Bay Area? Yeah. Yeah. Are you still doing that? I am. Um, I would say that my relationship with all of it is changing as well. Um, I mean, obviously the pandemic made it so that we're not gathering in the same place. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, ceremony is about people coming together. But I think also there was a whole crisis that I went through that led me to those ceremonies and to plant medicine in general. And I think I really needed that to get to a place of finding myself and figuring out who I am. And I think what I've learned it, over the past few years is I'm good. Like I, I know who I am. I struggle with all the things that people struggle with for sure. Um, but I feel, I feel like I have a toolkit now mm -hmm. that I, I know I can call on. I know I can use, and that doesn't include plant medicines. It's, it's totally within that. Um, and like this music was created with the help of those. Um, it's definitely a ceremonial setting that we created to make the music. Uh, but I feel like part of what I learned is to live my life too. It's mm -hmm. like um, I needed I needed that deep dive in order to be able to live my life. And now I'm living my life first and foremost. And when I need help, I'll turn to that or or other things. Yeah, that's I I haven't been in a setting where that has become an option for me. 
but um, it's very, it's very intriguing to me. It's very, it's fun. I don't usually use that word. I've used that word like a lot of times in this podcast already. Intriguing, very intriguing, Martha. When you um, say, when you say turn to that, what do you mean by that? Oh, well, like, so here in Tulum, there are a lot of, you know, I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm continually in places where, you know, I could do an ayahuasca ceremony. Mm -hmm. I could do combo. I could do things, but nothing has really, you know, when something just grabs you and you're like, okay, this is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Um, it hasn't, that hasn't occurred for me. Right. So I'm, I'm totally open to it, but I, I hear a lot of, um, uh, I hear a lot of good things. And also something similar to what you said, sort of like, you know, it's necessary for a time and then maybe you don't need it and then maybe you do. And then, you know, um, it, it's, uh, there you go ahead. I mean, it's, it's like, it's help. So, and it's a relationship. All of the teaching is that all of these plant medicines are, are essentially entities that you can have relationships with yeah. and just like any relationship, you're going to have times when you're super intimate with it and times when you're off doing something else. And for me, I actually feel like I've maintained an intimacy with the medicines that I partake of uh, without actually needing to have them in my body. It's sort of like I've learned what I've needed so far to take care of the things in my life. And now I don't feel like I need to uh, partake of them so often in order to maintain my life. Like I'm not in a debt to my life anymore, essentially, um, unless I put myself there and then I can use some help. But it's like, it's that sort of interaction where um, like I, I'm really, after coming out of 3HO and Kundalini Yoga, it's really important to me right now that I understand for myself that my value in the world is not performative. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to ceremony because I want to look a certain way or, um, or any social reason. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, it needs to be for me about my interaction with myself and what I'm going through mm. rather than needing to uh, appear to be a certain way to others. Yeah. So it's super personal and it's just like when, when it feels right, it feels right. And I, I validate that. I, I encourage that. Yeah. It also sounds like your, your relationship with that is that it's, it becomes its own guide so you can call upon it whenever, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's amazing because these medicines do create neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. So if you have trauma in your past mm -hmm. or um, you're going through something intense, like it does create space in your body, in your nervous system and in your brain to get out of fight or flight and get into the present moment mm -hmm. so you can actually feel things. Uh, it may be because of my history within, you know, a, a very stressful community that, mm. um, like, it, how to say this? 
basically, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's like it, it helps for those things essentially. And now I can do my life. I think I lost the, the train of thought a little bit there, but it's all the train of thought. The theme here is you. So <laughs> <laughs> you're still, still on, you're still, still on here. board. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious because also our talk was pre pandemic. Our talk was pre shit hitting the fan yeah. in the three HO Kundalini yoga world. And you just, um, when you were calling it a stressful community, is that something you would have said back then? Or is, is that sort of a realization post? I think I would have wanted, wanted to call it that, but I feel like I have space now to, to say without uh, social retribution that (laughs) it's like, yeah, things were not okay. Yeah. Um, And I know I faced all sorts of um, PTSD type uh, body states, um, as a result of being raised in the community that I was raised in, mm-hmm. um, and certain codependent tendencies and certain, uh, ways of thinking about myself and others that were not healthy because of the ways that, that the community was. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I feel like I have a lot more permission to just be, be myself, <laughs> Uh, honestly. And yeah, yeah, I I feel like this music actually is, is part of that. Yeah. Or my ability to make it is thanks to having gone through that. Yeah. Yeah. I have, have you heard the jewel podcast with Joe Rogan? You know, I've been pointed to it a couple times. (laughs) I'm honestly like the, the busiest guy on the planet. Uh, so I, I rarely have time to listen pretty to long. things. Pretty long. It's pretty but long, but it's on my list. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, if you do, it's well worth it. But one of the things that's just so incredible about that, kind of speaking to your point there about needing to go through things to become who you are. I mean, the things that that woman has gone through and overcome, I, I could not. I could not even fathom someone coming out the other end and going, I still want to have an open heart. I still want to, you know, yeah. it was pretty amazing. Right. And, and honestly, I mean, like, that's what I learned through the plant medicine is actually mm. that's, that's who I am is mm. like, I really care about people. I really care about my life. I really care about other people's lives. And um, I'm going to put that at the forefront of my life, regardless of what I'm doing or what's happening to me. Um, and I really appreciate it when other people do that too. It's very reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's not such a, what you say? It's not such a surprising takeaway from your life, but it is, I feel like not the road most frequently traveled when having experienced a lot of trauma or having experienced a lot of hardship, you know, cause certainly, I mean, I could be really bitter and cynical about yeah. all this, but you know, it's just like, I see these tendencies when power structures exist with humans and this is what happens with power structures and there's manipulation and abuse and, and humans do that. And that doesn't mean that I can't love people and not do that myself. Like right. that to me is the solution rather than just being hateful about the people who don't behave well. 
Yeah. Well said. Do you, do you want to talk about like some of the things that occurred to you kind of as a result of, of this whole thing where there, besides wanting to get out of it, you know, in a loving way, but I mean, were there things that just were kind of aha moments? Did you know kind of in your heart that it was happening all along or like, how did that process for you? Yeah. I, I think I remember early on, like I must've been 20 ish when I, I really remember well, there was this thing that happened. I went to Ireland. I was still wearing a turban. I was still very much a part of 3HO, um, at least in performance. Again, the performative aspect. Um, I went to a pub in Killarney, Ireland, and the doorkeeper guy said, you can't come in while you're if you're wearing a hat. And I said, well, I'm not wearing a hat. It's religious. And he said, I understand, but you can't come in. Um, and you know, I had been discriminated against before uh, in the States and, you know, called out, especially after September 11th, wearing a turban, being called Osama and all sorts of terrible things. Um, But I realized that I actually cared about hearing the music much more than I cared about wearing the turban. And that was a really important thing. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back on it, in retrospect, I, I realized, oh my God, this this is supposed to be a belief that I have, but I don't have this belief. Mm. Like this is a, a costume essentially. Um, and, you know, I think the reality of most of my childhood into young adulthood is that I wore the costume, I looked the look I believed in the good behavior, in the serving other people, treating everyone as equals. Like I got that, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, then I wear my head, like I wear my hair uncut and I wear this turban and we say that we're kings and queens and we're, we're basically saying we're above other people, even though we're equals with them. That's wrong to me, like for me. that's not something that I could do in a good way. So I took off my turban. I still didn't cut my hair until only a couple years ago, a few years ago, but, um, it was really important. I started walking around the Bay area, not wearing a turban and it was awesome and terrifying because people on the street were not noticing me. I used Mm. to Mm. get looks all the time, Mm. whether positive or negative, I was getting attention. And after I stopped wearing a turban, I became invisible, essentially. I became another white boy with long hair, which is very common in the Bay Area. Hmm. And I think that was really helpful for me to, like, get this reality check of of my not specialness. Hmm. I, I now believe that everybody is special, but no one is like, no one is more special than another person. And I, I feel like, um, there was an unhealthy relationship with, uh, others who did not look 
the same as you when the teaching was that we treat everyone with kindness and as if they're our brother or sister. So there was this hypocrisy that I, I couldn't live with really. Yeah. Um, and then just on the, on the like realization front, like the, the summer solstice festivals that we had, uh, celebrations that we had in New Mexico and Florida. Um, I always hated it there to be perfectly honest that the altitude, the dryness, the lack of nutrition, like it was all a problem. Um, and I realized that I was really pissed off about it. So, you know, that's a conversation that I've had with my parents and they've apologized and they're, I think they're amazing. We're all on the same page about how screwed up things were mm. and about the neglect that happened. Um, and like I came out a good person <laughs> essentially. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I can't fault the whole thing. I, but I can criticize the, the poor behavior. Yeah. You had a, a different experience that I know about. Was it just high school that you did in the Bay Area? Were you like more participatory in the Khalsa schools and stuff like that earlier I, on? Or? I, I never went to school in India. I right. always went to school in the Bay Area, um, which is really great because I think I would have been suicidal if I had gone to India. Like mm -hmm. I, I either would have become... Well, I would have become like a lot of my peers, which is angry, depressed, and possibly physically violent. Like it's, it, I saw that among quite a few people. And I know a lot of my peers have talked about that happening to them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful that I was never sent. Yeah. You're, I mean, it seems like by comparison, you got quite a bit more parenting than a lot of the kids in 3HO, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I lived apart from the ashram, so mm -hmm. we were always a little independent. We went to services on Sundays and participated in the community, but um, we definitely had our own lives. And, mm -hmm. you know, my parents played in orchestras and musicals and mm -hmm. ensembles, and I played in youth orchestras. And so we were definitely interacting with uh, the broader local community and not just 3HO, not just Kundalini yoga. Yeah. yeah. That was a really difficult thing for me to get over. And I didn't grow up in obviously in, in the Kundalini yoga 3HO community, but the dissonance between how I felt about something and how I was supposed to feel about something. Like you're talking about like summer solstice. So I would go to summer solstice and I didn't go when I was a kid, obviously, but starting in my twenties, really hard time. The first time marriage time was okay. Pregnant. Oh my gosh, that was horrible. So every time I'd go, I'd be like, I'm never going back. That was the last time it was so awful. And then, but then you're like supposed to keep doing it. And it's right. like, well, you, you may have not liked it, but it was really good for you. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think taking every individual taking control over being the barometer for what's good for us and what's not. Yeah. It takes the supposed to's out of everything. And, you know, I think it's a, a good lesson to learn. Um, it's unfortunate when it comes with a ton of pain, but, yeah. um, and, and in certain cases, 
like actual crime <laughs> and abuse and that's right. not okay right. um but yeah it's like we we all have to know and hopefully will know that only we as individuals know what feels good and what doesn't feel good and that that needs to be the priority rather than appeasing a community that knows nothing about you right and i think that's the main maybe the biggest takeaway about all of this for me is essentially that i now distrust most teachers who put themselves in positions of being teachers mm -hmm. and it's something that i'm really conscious of in my social media and you know being a public figure it's like i might have some thoughts about stuff and i might try to make it sound pretty but ultimately i'm not telling anyone to do anything i mm -hmm. i really care that I'm not telling people what to do. It's not my business. Mm -hmm. And I think I, like I'm a perfect example of so many people along the road have told me you should do this, you should do this. And I'm only going to do the things that I want to do ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the more we can mind our own business and let people be themselves, uh, the happier everyone's going to be. Yeah. Like yeah. it's enough to tend to my own crap, honestly. <laughs> I think the grand illusion is like when, when you're feeling a sense of, of not being in control of your own life, right? It's like, oh, but if everyone else could just act a certain way for me, then I would feel like I was in control of my life. But yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work because of what you were just saying. And it, it won't work out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, forget control over your own life. Like <laughs> that's hopeless. <laughs> I, <think. laughs> I mean, I agree. I can, I can go to sleep, have a weird dream and wake up having been influenced by some part of my brain, figuring out some stuff mm -hmm. and I'll, I can have a crappy day after that. Was that under my control? Like, and, and honestly, I, I'm not sure that anyone knows any better about how to take care of the things that I'm thinking than I do because no. I'm only, I'm thinking them only I'm feeling them and words are again, woefully inaccurate when we're trying to, um, express a feeling. So back, back to the music, right? Cause it's just like, here's a feeling, experience it. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you what it is. Just like, mm -hmm. this is what it was for me, but you have your experience. That's great. I yeah. love that. That yeah. feels like the perfect remedy for everything that I've experienced in my life. Yeah. That's nice. It, I feel like musicians don't get asked, what does this mean as much as possibly like painters or photographers or stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think it's for good reason. I mean, I, I feel like everyone should, everyone's going to have their experience with art that they have. Mm -hmm. And just because I wrote a song about, you know, in this case, my son passing, doesn't mean that that is what the song's about. Cause mm -hmm. Bogdan and Mati didn't have that experience. Mm -hmm. That was what brought a feeling for me. So and then and then every fan who listens to it everybody who listens to it is going to have it hit them at a certain time in their life 
And the poignancy of that is so much more important than my thoughts about what it means. Yeah. Who knows what Beethoven thought about what his fifth symphony meant? Like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's, it's just great that he made it. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. It is. <sighs> yeah. I, I was thinking about, I was thinking about that actually. It's, it's, it's interesting because we only have the, when we're comparing music, we're comparing like Beethoven to what you've just done, for example, I mean, obviously a lot of differences, but the main thing is like, I don't know how Beethoven played it. So we don't actually know what it sounded like or how it felt, right? Because right. it's just notes on paper at this point and everybody gets to decide how that sounds. Absolutely, absolutely. It's and really then, hard to say. You know, we, we, thank goodness we have them as notes on a paper. Like that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Um, and you know, toward the end of his life, he was deaf and almost blind too. So who knows if his interpretation of what he was hearing inside his head is what came out on paper. Right. It works yeah. for me, but <laughs> you know, he was, he was going through all sorts of stuff and same for any composer. It's, it's approximate and hopefully mm -hmm. we can gesture in the right direction yeah. that that causes a feeling in someone else on that note haha do you anticipate being able to somewhat recreate these compositions live or are they just going to sort of become something else do you think when you do have you done them live uh we so we went back into that cave and actually did a studio session within the cave. I brought all my gear down there and we lit candles and it was amazing. Um, and we took the framework for them, for uh -huh. some of them and, and did different versions of them. So I think there's possibility in the sense that the structure is what matters and uh -huh. the, the motifs are possible to recreate. But just like jazz, there's so much room, essentially they're chord progressions with a little bit of melody yeah. and then it can be improvised on top of. So I think there's, there's definitely room for new versions. I'm not sure how interested in recreating them Monty and Bogdan are. Mm. Uh, I know they're really interested in just creating new things. Right. Um, and they're coming out with some really great stuff. I'm helping them with, with mixing and mastering those. Um, and then I hope that we can record, you know, another, another chunk of tunes together, uh, sort of the way that we did as well. But I think it's always going to evolve. We're always looking for, for the, the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel like once you've, I feel like once I'm done recording something or even like when I start, I'm already, already kind of done with that material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I have this EP coming out on December 3rd, but I'm I'm thinking about the next EP right. and how I'm recording that and words because it's singer-songwriter <laughs> stuff. So it's like, yeah, I've I'm 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 in the future. <laughs> right <now>. <laughs> you so you are going to be writing. I sort of missed that. I mean, I heard you say it, but I didn't make the little mental connection. So you are writing songs or is somebody else writing songs and you're singing them? No, I'm writing songs. Uh, okay. I do have a couple of collaborators words. that I'm working <laughs> with for, for those. Um, uh -huh. 
but no i i have some song ideas it's yeah. just uh the weight the gravitas of having to do a song like that feels bigger um okay. the this ep with with mati and bogdan like it has a vulnerability and a and a, a weight to it that is perfect um but yeah suddenly when when you're the one singing as you know it <laughs> becomes very personal and you know you're the one singing those words and they're your words and so i look forward to it getting easier but mm. um yeah i'm i'm excited about it i know it's going to be great and uh i just have to coach myself through that a little bit yeah so is that stuff do you compose on guitar when you compose guitar or piano uh sometimes a melody will just pop in my head and it's without without an instrument in my hands and i'll, I'll do a voice memo and then figure out yeah. the the chords and everything when i get to an instrument yeah that's cool yeah. i was thinking when you were talking about how bogdan and mati just kind of want to move on um do you have you've heard that Joni Mitchell live album, The Miles of Isles, where she makes this joke about like everybody's requesting songs. Everybody's like yelling out, you know, requesting songs. And she's like, you know, one of the things, <laughs> one of the things that's amazing about being a painter, because she's also a painter, is like you paint it and it's done. <laughs> nobody, yeah. nobody asks Van Gogh, like, paint a starry night again, man. <laughs> I, right, I always right. love that. Yeah, that's that's very true <laughs> we're, we're the ones who have to do it again record on repeat exactly <laughs> though didn't uh who was it there was a a painter oh you know what it was there it was um there's a radio lab episode that i love that talks about maurice ravel who wrote the um bolero which is this 17 ish minute piece with the same melody the entire time and he just changes which instruments are playing that melody it's so repetitive but it's incredible it's like a master class in orchestration and just gets to this big crescendo at the end and then falls apart um it turns out that he had some sort of degenerative brain disease or some some sort of thing that creates the compulsion to find a motif and create over and over and over again on that. Oh, there wow. was a woman who had not been a painter, but took up painting and started painting strawberries. And she just kept painting strawberries over and over and over again. And they became this amazing, beautiful thing. It turns out that she ended up having that same illness that Ravel had. Huh. So it's fascinating because sometimes and i actually think that this music is a perfect example there's a beauty to repetition and uh you know having done mantra music for so long like you're you you almost go into a trance mm -hmm. when things repeat like that and i think that's really beautiful but there's something again about the performative aspect of it where it's like someone else is expecting it of you I think when it's self-motivated and we can find the J in it ourselves or the catharsis in it ourselves, it becomes less of a chore. But 
when mm. it feels like it's an outside demand, that's when things can get a little tenuous. I wonder if that's an introvert extrovert type of perception too, because I totally feel that and I'm definitely an introvert and I wonder if you identify as introvert. Okay. Introvert like, with, with extrovert capabilities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not antisocial. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I wonder because people who do enjoy playing, I feel like they get a certain energy from the interaction that it's not, it doesn't feel like a demand to me. It does feel like a demand. Mm -hmm. I've I never liked it when people have been like, play something, sing something. I'm like, so I can prove to you that I can like, I just don't like how this feels. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it sometimes yeah. isn't, doesn't mean that, but it's just, no, yeah, no, for sure. It really yeah. Does. Yeah. Yeah. I think it comes across sometimes as look at me, look at me when mm. I want it to be, look at this, listen to this. Mm. Like the work is not me. Mm. It, I helped create it, but mm. I'm not the thing to put on the pedestal essentially. It's more like, isn't music cool? Isn't art cool? Yeah. Um, look how amazing we all are for having created things essentially. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I really resonate with that. I really, uh, I don't like doing things on demand. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. When it's in front of people. Essentially. Which I think is one of the major appeals of the studio. Maybe you agree to me. It's like, and the home studio, particularly, it's like, whenever I feel like it, I can go play some music, you know? Yeah. I, I don't even maybe go that far, <laughs> uh, but it's full time for me, you know? So it's for like, sure. Yeah. It's, I, I don't have much free time to, to go and play music. Um, but again, it's like, I don't know that I get a whole lot of satisfaction from going and playing music. Mm. I think I'm finding that my satisfaction comes in the experimenting with material. Mm -hmm. um, and it did feel like painting with Mati and Bogdan live. It did feel like that a laboratory environment rather than and ceremonial environment rather than a, a performative one. So I think that kind of sums up what we were trying to do too, which is we didn't want it to be performative. We didn't want it to be showing off. We wanted it to be very introverted, very introspective mm -hmm. while also being cathartic and emotional. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ramdas. Especially, I know you mentioned you're like the busiest person in the world. So I really value um, you coming on here. I feel very honored that you lent me some of your time for um, for doing this podcast. Would you tell everyone about the many ways that they can keep in touch with you? Your Instagram feed, by the way, right now is like really awesome. So definitely. Tell, tell people your handle and your website and all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I would talk to you in a heartbeat anytime. <laughs> I'm like so happy to do this whenever, regardless of my schedule. Aww. And um, yeah, it, people can, y'all can find me on Instagram, Ramdas Music, Ramdas with two S's, like the other white Ramdas. <laughs> um, and I'm also Ramdas Music on Facebook. Uh, at Ramdas on Twitter. And then if you want to find my music, uh, it's on all of the streaming services under Ramdas. Uh, the most recent EP, which uh, we'll be releasing 
December 3rd is called And Now He Has Wings. Uh, and that is with my collaborator, collaborators, uh, Aware. And you can find that on Spotify, on Apple Music, Deezer, Pandora, or any of the other services, uh, YouTube. Um, and I'm sure we'll post links for all of that too. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I just, I have to ask, did yeah. you end up giving the other Ram Dass because I know his people had asked you to like give up your your yeah. handles no, at some I point. Did not. I okay. Did not. They they um yeah, I, I didn't. Okay, good for you. <laughs> I was just wondering if that's why there's a music after it. Uh actually, you know, that's a good question. I don't remember what happened with Instagram, but with Twitter, I'm still at Ramdas. Um, <laughs> And I, get, I get all sorts of people who are quoting the other Ramdas. <laughs> I want to say something sometimes, but I really appreciate that they got something out of what you had to say. Yeah. So, yeah. It's yeah. not a, I mean, if you're going to be confused with someone, that's not an awful one. So. Yeah. I'm just a lot younger and you know, still living and stuff. <laughs> oh, he, he died. I forgot yeah, that he, he died away last oh. year, the year before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm the, I'm the living, the living, living Ramdas. Ram yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. The living Ramdas. Sure. All right. <laughs> thanks so much. And thanks so much you guys for listening. We will see you in or listen. We will catch you in the next episode. All right. Bye. Take care. For more conversations like this and to help us share this podcast, please subscribe on the platform of your choice as well as leave us a comment. To keep in touch with me and receive updates, please sign up for my newsletter at portersinger.com. You'll get a free download as well as receive updates on my self-healing sound courses, workshops, and other community building events. Have a beautiful day.